Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education Podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learned, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. Hello and welcome back to the Cape, the Operation Cape podcast. I keep shortening it. Maybe I should change the name of the podcast because I keep saying the Cape podcast, but it's actually the Operation Cape podcast, a child abuse prevention and education podcast. I'm here today with Imogen, who is an advocate and survivor of child sexual abuse, who has a really fascinating story that she ha- has to tell. I just want to first, before I get started with the the full interview, is that to let you know there's a trigger warning for this episode for most episodes that we do in the operation cape podcast there's a trigger warning but for this one imogen's going to be telling her story of of survival through her child child sexual abuse um and i just wanted to make sure that people realize we're we're talking about things that are hard to listen to but very very important to know about so imogen uh imogen and i met through well, Imogen was following me on TikTok and we got talking and here we are because uh, Imogen's been a fighter and she's been fighting for her own, um, you know, advocating for herself, but now wants to advocate for other victims and survivors. So thank you very much, Imogen, for being here today. No worries. Thank you for having me. So Imogen, um, I'll hand the mic over to you. What? How? How did this all, well, you don't you start wherever you feel ready and comfortable to start okay so um oh, how did this all come about I guess yeah I've been watching your TikToks for some time and I've um, been wanting to get my story out there um not only just because I want to tell my story but I also want to use my story to help educate people especially parents on uh, child sexual abuse and just um, how difficult the situation can be to um, get out from like with my story it took years for me to actually get out of the situation when a lot of people knew about it so um yeah I was failed on many different levels from lots of different people yeah Um, well let's start let's start with regards to your perpetrator was your stepfather is that right Yes, he was. So, um, when did he, he come into life? your life? Oh, uh, I was about three years old. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, three years old, my mum and him got together. But, um, uh, interestingly enough, the day I was born, um, he was like friends with the family. He wanted to come and meet me and um, meet the baby. Which, now looking back, for a seventeen-year-old boy. <laughs> I don't really think um, that's normal. So, you know, he, even though my mum was with my father, tried to get to know my mum over that period of time. And as soon as my mum and dad separated, they were together very quick. So I don't think that was a 
coincidence or an accident, I believe that he had targeted me from from birth. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah. just interesting point there. So your mum was quite young when she had you, is that right? Yes, yeah, she was only 19. Yep. And the relationship between my mum and dad was not a good one. So I do believe that he saw her as a vulnerable person and targeted her. Yeah. Well, and he targeted me as well. So yeah. Yeah. So he was in your life from three years old, and and how did that all pan out? Like, what happened? Um, you know, was he part? Was he a good stepdad, or was he? Yeah. So I mean, this is where it gets complicated. So if if I wasn't sexually abused by him, he would have been a great stepfather, yeah. and you know that's what made it so hard to report and to get away um you know I was very conflicted because um like I knew what he was doing was wrong mm. but at the same time you know I had this brand new family you know his family took me in it was you know amazing wonderful and I knew that or well, I thought that reporting would mean I had to give up that whole relationship with his family yeah you know because they didn't use terms like step or anything like that it was just, just family. their family yeah yeah and I, I should add as soon as I was three years old and he came into my life within a matter of a few months he had upped and moved me my mom and him away um to Brisbane and we're from like a rural town in far north Queensland and he yeah so took us away basically and I believe that was a, a way to isolate us yeah, that was that sounds very uh that's like groomer 101 or like um you know that's definitely a tactic that people use to isolate victims. So yeah, that sounds very yeah. true. Um, yeah. um well not that's not the right word. That sounds very like you know what I've seen in other cases. So yeah, so he's moved you away and gotten you away from yeah. your su- support yeah. network. So then you guys have moved away to Brisbane and and then so from the from the news article that I read, he started abusing you from about five. Is that right? Um, yeah. Well, that's my first memory. So obviously, I yeah. can't really remember anything between the ages of three to, to five. Yeah. But possibly, the probability is pretty high. But my first memory that I was able to you know report on was from five years old. Yeah. Right. So talk about yeah. so talk about your you know your journey in reporting like all of this to police and and getting some justice because you you've obviously had years and years of abuse which um you you talk about it took a lot to get away from um talk about that for, with us so that we can understand yeah. what you had to go through yeah so basically from yeah the age of five to twelve. I did not say anything to anyone. I was so ashamed and I um it was a really shameful thing for me and also like I couldn't say the words like penis or vagina. Um I wasn't raised at all. Like they were so embarrassing for me. Like there was no yeah. way that I could, could speak about those issues. So when I was 12, I told my best friend at the time. Um you know, just had a little breakdown and told um yeah, my friend who told her mum yeah. and then child safety got involved. Um, child safety knew that I was being um, abused, basically, but didn't really do anything about it. They just said he can't live in the home anymore 
and that's it. Um, they didn't do any follow up. Um, you know, they have a lot to answer for. They they didn't follow up my family at all. And within a month of um, child safety coming into the picture and telling my mom and, you know, saying he couldn't live with us anymore, he was straight back living in our house. And it was just a, a fact of, you know, my mom saying he's sorry and he won't do it again. Um, but basically yeah. don't tell anyone that he's living here. Uh, you know, so that was awful in itself. And, you know, I had to carry that secret until I was 15 and that's when I just couldn't take it anymore um he obviously did continue to abuse me but he just got sneakier about it um he didn't he didn't stop and I was really suffering at the time my grades were suffering I was barely going to school um and I said he needs to leave the house he leaves the house or I'm leaving and that's when um he left for good and we moved away um, back up to where we're from. And that was how we yeah, really escaped the situation. Um, and then from yeah, the ages of 15 to, oh, actually, no, when I was 16, I did uh, approach the child um, protection unit, like the police unit in Brisbane and um, told them what had happened, but I just wasn't ready the report then you know they uh, I didn't have the support system my mom wasn't supportive um she didn't want me to to report she was really embarrassed by it she held a lot of shame around it as well um and she basically begged me not to and I just decided I wasn't ready and yeah didn't do anything about it at the time yeah then um when I was 21 I found out that he had remarried and he had um had children he had three daughters so that was very um triggering for me at the at that time because I'd also had a child by then and um my child and his child had the same birth date so you know every time I would look at my child I would think oh there's this little girl the same age that is um with this with this man so I did try to um, press charges again at that time and I had a very not so great experience with the police then. Um, They basically wanted to take my statement over the phone and then they wouldn't even take my statement. They told me not to bother, that um, basically nothing would come of it and why put myself through that trauma. Wow. So um, that was, yeah. That was um, that's very really, disappointing. That's hugely disappointing. Yeah, yeah. And But in the end, it did help my case because there was this paper trail of every time I had contacted the police. Uh, but, you know, it could have happened a lot earlier. Um, and even when I ended up contacting the police, you know, years after this, I still thought, oh, maybe they're not going to take my statement. But I was yeah. ready to push for it. Yeah. Um, but I was very fortunate when I did contact them when I was 28 and I had, um, like, I want to say brilliant experience, but, um, you know, given what it was, it's not yeah. really brilliant. Yeah, it was a positive, positive experience. So 
it's just hard to hear uh-huh. as, as an ex-police officer and a detective it's hard to hear victims and survivors tell me that how badly they've been treated by police it's I, and it's this this episode's not about me but I just want you to know that you should never have been pushed away like that and I have seen detectives and police officers treat victims like that before and it it just I used to have arguments with them and it should never have been like that it should never be like that for any victim any survivor anyone who comes to a police station or or talks to an officer and says I want to report a crime they should never be treated that way especially when it especially when it comes to child sexual abuse and sexual abuse like victims and survivors should be treated with the utmost respect and support not treated like this is too hard yeah yeah that was definitely the response that I had um, you know that second time that I I spoke to them um I actually had to think of other ways like creative ways like how am I going to keep these children safe like even Mm. though um it's not my responsibility for him to not you know for him to offend like i you know, that's if he was going to offend, that's on him. But I still felt this responsibility to his children. So I was contacting child safety. I was like making reports, and yeah. I feel um, very glad child safety took it very seriously. And um, he wasn't allowed um, to be around the children unless it was supervised, uh, and that was in place for up until he went ended up going to jail. Um, so. I'm very thankful for them. Um, yeah, in that experience with them, that they listened. Do you think um, that some part of you was like, "Well, I got, I was failed by the system and the people that should have protected me, but I'm not going to fail these kids. Like, I'm not going to yeah. let this keep going. It's not okay." Yeah, definitely. And I was like, "I'm going to be the cycle breaker. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make sure this stops." So I, I told everybody in his family to. Um, which yeah, I never wow. wanted to do because I felt like it would um, destroy them. And, you know, it, it, it was a big thing for them. But luckily, um, most of his family members were very supportive. And um, actually his father was uh, one of the, like, my main supporters. And um, They must have known. Yeah, they, they must have known deep down that he was that way, like that he would do that or he was possible, capable of doing that. Yeah, possibly. Um, there was a lot of denial with a few family members, but um, yeah. once his dad and his sister came to terms with it, like they have been there the whole way through. That's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. how it should be, right? That should when when a child or a young person comes forward and says, "I, you know, this person, regardless of who it is, this person is hurting me, is abusing me," then the a family should go, "Okay." how do we keep you safe how do we help you how do yeah. we support you i i understand and i want to i want to circle back to your mum right so yeah, your mum your mum was obviously quite young um she was a young parent um she was obviously very uh reliant on your stepdad would that be the right word yeah completely completely reliant and do you um, think you know, he groomed her yeah. do you think he groomed yeah. her and c- created that like you know that need to you know for him yeah. keep her safe on you know like I find when in these cases especially with single parents um that uh it they create this like vacuum or like this bubble for the 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 mum basically protect the mum and make her sort of brainwashed or 
I don't know what the words are, but, you know, they keep them safe in this bubble, away from, isolated from people so that they can't leave and they can't do anything. And even when they do find out, like your mum, they yeah. are so worried about losing that. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, she has a lot to answer for as well. And, you know, it's been a rocky, rocky relationship with her. We weren't in contact for a very long time. It's only been recently that we've started to, you know rebuild any form of relationship yeah um because you know in a way yes she was groomed but to me it's no excuse no she was an adult exactly and you know I feel like I took on most of the the adult role of being like this is not okay we need to report we need to get away yeah um and yeah that's been my my role I guess uh in the dynamics there yeah yeah. I can relate. Um, I can hugely relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I don't know. I, I am a parent, you're a parent. Um, you know, when we're thinking about this stuff, I, I because I was a um I became the parental role in my family very early on. And I often um I often reflect on, you know, roles and responsibilities with parents. And I mm-hmm. feel that, you know, when our parents like let us down like they do. Um, they have forgotten their roles and responsibilities and that their roles and responsibilities are to protect us, keep us safe, feed us, give us love. You know, they don't, their responsibility isn't to make us happy and, you know, and, you know, make us uh, get, find us jobs or find us all of these things, but they're resp- they've got a small amount of responsibilities and that's what we as parents need to do, right? Our responsibility, I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure, you know, you with your own children are sitting in the back and going, I will never let this happen to my kids. I will never let them, ha-. you know, I, if my child told me this, I would protect them to the nth degree, like I would go to the ends of the earth to protect them. Would you say that's true? Yeah, it, that's um, exactly you know, how I feel. Um, yeah, I'm I'm even, I wouldn't say paranoid, but even for me, like I, I am um, divorced and I have not repartnered and people always ask me why. And I just, yeah. because for me, like personally, it's not worth My children are going to be adults one day yeah. um, or, you know, older. What's the rush? Um, you know, just with my experience, I don't want to ever be bringing anybody into the house. Yeah. Um, you know, just given the statistics and uh, I just, for me, it's not worth it. I'm not saying that single parents um, shouldn't do that or you know repartner at all that's not what I'm saying but yeah just for me I decided that that's something that I'm not interested in yeah and I'm not I don't blame you and I hear that from a lot of survivors with children that um they just are like not willing to risk it not willing to try and you know it's not worth it and um I admire anyone who feels that way or does that for their own children um, so when you went at 28, when you reported and you finally went through the process of getting him charged and going through that process and in the, in the newspaper article, I, I read from 2020, he only got five years and was able to get parole after 20 months. Was that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, the amount of abuse that you endured five years is not a lot, is it? Yeah, it wasn't a lot. And even, you know, um, in court on that day you know the, the judge wasn't wasn't overly impressed with that either and you know but that's that's the decision that they came to with sentencing um you know just based on other cases I was very disappointed 
Um, and, you know, I was only told the day before as well what the sentence was going to be and I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to go to court. Um, I just, I just couldn't believe it. And then I also was asking about, well, how long is he going to be on the um, sex offenders registry? And I was told five years. So I was like, so he's going to potentially serve five years in jail and then get out and then not even be a registered sex offender. And was told yes, pretty much. Um, well, actually, I'll, you know. I'll, I can correct you there because they, yeah. their um, their time on the sex offender register doesn't start until they leave prison. So, um, so he would have been on there. But I was under the well in Western Australia, a sex a, a sex offender when they're released from prison goes on it for ten years. First offence, second offence. If they're found again, they go on there for life. So. I'm not sure what's different about Queensland because I, I haven't looked up your legislation, but I would have thought that it was pretty similar. So I'm surprised that it's five years, but yeah, he would have, he would still be on the sex offender register today because he would have got out when. I can't believe he it's twenty. He got out in January. He got <laughs> out in January. He didn't get parole. Um, he, he was in jail for a little bit longer. Um, Thank God for that, but, but still not enough. Yeah, not enough. Still not enough. Yeah. So in regards to all of this processing, you said, you told me before we started that, you know, you had to actually give up your anonymity. And I said that word, finally. Um, You gave up your your anonymity to be able to have his name published in in the news, in in papers, and to have him identified. Um, Because, uh, and listeners might not know this, but when a child um, child abuse victim is uh, related or semi-related to the offender, the news is not allowed to uh, report the person's name. If they're not related, then they can report it. But when they're related or a a member of a family, they can't um, identify the perpetrator or the offender because it could identify the victim. So that, so when you, what did you have to do to be able to, like share that information so on the day in court like on when he got um sentenced there was a reporter in the courtroom and um she was the only one and i kind of approached her and asked her what what she had planned to do with the with the story and she um told me you know she wouldn't be able to publish any names um but yeah she was going to report on it and asked me if i was interested in contributing to the story and I said definitely and I asked what do I need to do to get him identified and she just said you'll have to you know sign this piece of paper that you um, are okay with his identity being released because there is that risk that it will identify you like we're not going to publish your name but there is that risk that it will identify you and I was more than happy to do that and we after the court um what would you call it like the sentencing we went into a private room in the courtroom and we sat down for about an hour and um, I spoke about her experience and she asked me what I was okay with getting published and what I wasn't okay with. Um, she also read my victim impact, impact statement. statement. Yeah. Yeah. In full. And, you know, she just got little bits out of it and she said, are you okay with this bit being published? Um, and then, you know, I'd agree. And so I felt like I had a lot of control over the situation um and basically yeah that's how that came about do you feel um did it do you feel that being able to have report on it and have his name out there in the public 
has helped with your healing process? Because I'd imagine having that as public record and him, you know, you just have to Google his name now and his name's going to come up as being a convicted child sex offender. That must be, uh, have some relief attached to it, I'd imagine. Definitely, especially because of the the sentence that he got. Yeah, I wasn't happy with that. So I thought, I, I want this to follow him. Just as it's followed me for my life, like, yeah. It should also follow him. He shouldn't be able to get away with it and, you know, go on to live his life as normal. There has to be some more repercussions. For sure. Um, yeah. Um, have you um have you ever so you you just said that you've obviously um you know your mum didn't support you. She wasn't uh, protecting you or protective. She was obviously you know looking after her own interests by not doing anything about the abuse when he, when she found out about it do you do you have you had any conversations with her or have you just let that go because you know that she's not capable of having that I have just decided to let it go yeah for me um with everything that could have been said has been said yeah you know uh when the, you know the lead up to us having me going no contact with her it's been said yeah. Um. And I've just had to make that decision of do I want her in my life? And yes, to a certain extent, I do. But she is definitely not, uh, you know, a mother. Yes. If that makes sense. It's just I'm in control. Yeah. 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 And um. Yeah. You know, she's had a bit of contact with her grandchildren, and yeah. Um. I can't just take that away. From my from my children, you yeah. know, they already have a relationship with her. So, um. yeah, I think also as long as she respects the boundaries you put in place, like I think, um, family familial relationships are really difficult because we've been taught that we should respect our elders, we should, you know, um, blood's thicker than water, we should do this, this, and this, you know, we should listen to our elders, you know, we shouldn't just cut our families off. But I think, and I'm sure you'll agree, you've done it. You know, if they're unhealthy, unsafe, and they don't care, that they're, they're only looking after their best best interests, then they are not, you know, technically they are not the family that we want around our kids, right? Yeah, so exactly. if they make some changes and if they help and if they are willing to toe the line, so to speak, then that's when I think, you, you know, it's okay to let them back into your child's lives. But I wouldn't be trusting them with their safety and I wouldn't be trusting them with... Um, you know, like the big stuff. Um, exactly. But yeah, I can understand because, yeah. you know, I didn't I didn't grow up with child sexual abuse, but I grew up with emotional and psychological and, and drug abuse and abuse, um, alcohol abuse and all of that. And um, I have a relationship with my own mother now, but I didn't as a child. And um, yeah. it, And it's only because she's made changes in her life. She's grown and she's matured and she's, you know, remorseful. Um, so, you know, like... I have her in my life and I, I'm I'm grateful for that now and I do that for myself as well as my daughter, you know. That's the personal decision that everybody has, has to make. And, you know, a few years ago I never thought that I'd talk to her again. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's it's not just something that I don't think anyone would just make a decision like that lightly. Mm. Hey, um, I wanted, wanted to know, so at 12, um, at 12 years old, you reported it to a friend, they reported it to their mum and it got reported to child protection. And so there was yeah. back then, I mean, what year were we talking back then? 
in Ooh, the um, 2000s, 90s, when we were talking? How old I would have been. Yeah, it would have been the 2000s, early 2000s. Right. So you've gone around. So basically, did you ever get interviewed back then by police? Did you ever, any of that happen? So what happened was I was in class one day and the principal um, called my name over the intercom and said, yeah. I need to come to the office. I was terrified. I was like, what have I done? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, um, so I started walking up to the office. The principal just looked uh, um, very sad. I couldn't, I thought someone in my family had died. Yeah. Like that was the vibe I was getting. And they said, you have to come to the office. Um, I was walked into a room and there was two police officers, I think two child safety officers, the female, um, principal, and they asked me to sit down and ask me, do I know what, what this is about and why are they here? And I was terrified and I was so embarrassed. Um, I don't know if that's how they do things these days. Um, but I I asked everyone to leave basically and said like at 12 years old, I said, everyone that doesn't need to really be here. Um, could you, could you leave? And so one police officer left and one of the uh, child safety officers left and the principal and I was sat down and, yeah, interviewed, but I was so scared. I didn't say anything. I just, um, I, I didn't say anything. I didn't disclose. But in my records that I got many years later, it was all, like, yeah, saying that they know that I've been abused. Um, they could tell by my body language um, that they were very certain and, um but I wasn't willing to disclose at that point. They also said that they would follow up and see if I would disclose later, but, yeah, that never happened. You just got lost in the system. Yeah, basically. Um, but, you know, I was very coached anyway. Um, yeah, tell, tell us point. about that because um, I read in the article that you had been, um, you were made to rehearse lines. So tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I was coached a lot by my mum and my stepdad about what to say if child safety came back um uh you know if he was living in the house what to say um if I was ever asked by anyone else and you know I was taught to make eye contact um just I'm trying to think yeah eye contact and engaging I basically was taught how to engage and fortunately yeah unfortunately that behavior has followed me through my whole life um people you know I've had doctors say like are you okay and I'm like making eye contact and being like yeah I'm absolutely fine yeah. and uh yeah, just learn to to mask and that's something that I still do to this day that that's the one thing that I actively have to work on but I'm very lucky that my doctor and my psychologist mm. know to take everything I say at, at face value yeah um wow you know, even if I yeah if I'm making eye contact and acting happy but I say I'm really sad they know to take that seriously that I'm sad so that's just one of the examples of yeah I was really coached and I was really groomed what did um, the what did the grooming look like other than the obviously the coaching to not talk to other adults or parents or anyone but what did the yeah. coaching like was there grooming happening between five and twelve when all of that abuse originally was started before you actually disclosed yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I was made to feel very special. 
um, I was just told constantly, like, I'm intelligent, I'm amazing, like, um, I, I had no boundaries placed on me, I could do whatever I wanted, um, I was given money, um, you know, my friends thought, wow, this is fantastic, like, you know, her house is so cool, um, but, you know, in reality, um, you know, not, not so much, and that made it very hard to report is, I don't want to give up that money, um, I don't want to give up this lifestyle. And my mum would be like, we, we can't afford it. If he leaves the house, um, you know, we can't, we can't afford to live, which, which wasn't true at all. She had a very good job. I think he had just groomed her into thinking that Needing him. Um, she couldn't do it on her own. Yeah. 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 Um, also, um, just to change, not change the subject, but to add more onto that grooming aspect is, um, I did keep a lot of diaries and journals my whole life. So when I was a child, um, I had seen on TV that, you know, you should, uh, like, remember as much detail as possible. I think yeah, right. I, I got that off. I think I got that off, you know, SVU. And it really stuck with me because I'm like, one day I'm going to send this man to jail. So I would write these diaries and, like, every time I was abused, I would, write down um you know just a cover story like I went to the movies today and this is what I wore or you know just something that would jog my memory of that time and really? um I did that up until um I was about 15 so I have these journals with these logs um of all the abuse and that really came in handy when I was pressing charges um but then when I was 15 and onwards, when he'd left the house, I actually started um, journaling my experience. And it's interesting because I was reading them the other day and my first journal entry was like saying, he's been gone out of the house for two days. Um, I feel so sad. I'm so worried for him. I'm worried he's going to kill himself. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't have us. He's going to be so lonely. And, you know, I felt a lot of guilt and I was really struggling with that. So I just couldn't believe, like, to the extent that I was groomed. And what's that that syndrome almost where you, like, start Stockholm to... syndrome. It was almost like that. Like, I just couldn't bear the fact that, you know, he was, he was messaging or not calling my mom at the time saying he was sleeping in his car. <laughs> so, you know... um. I was holding on to a lot of that and thinking it was my fault. And, mm. you know, as the diary entries go on, obviously it, it changes and you see over the, over the years and you're really starting to, to change and being like, no, this was not okay. But the, just the extent of what he went through to try to get back into our lives um, was insane. Like one day after we had you know, he had been kicked out of the house. He showed up and my mum wasn't home and he had he had cut his whole body. Like his arms, his torso, his legs. And you know, wow. he was trying to he was trying to say, Oh, you tell your mum to let me back in the house. Like look how much I'm suffering. And I remember at that point I just was so so scared and, and so freaked out. But um, you know, luckily he still didn't come back into the house to live with us, but 
yeah, it's pretty um, telling of how much he was trying to get back in by manipulating us. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, a couple of those mm. things, a couple of the things in that, what you just said about the diaries, when did you start writing the diaries? So I uh, from about eight years old. Wow. Yeah, my first ones are from eight. <laughs> so um, there's a lot. I have a lot of, of diaries. And, um, yeah, the police loved it when I ended up <laughs> pressing charges when I was 28 because it was all admitted into evidence. Um, wow. But, but, yeah, I don't know. I was just a clever child, I think, and, you know, that's what you I You were <laughs> severely clever. Like, like I'm, as an investigator, like, that would have been like the the most amazing um, piece of evidence because if you started basically, um, you know, taking a, like a, writing your accounts down and the how smart were you to try and hide a, a code? You created a code so that you could uh, keep it from him if he ever looked at it or, you know, he wouldn't identify what you were actually doing. Yeah, exactly. And that was... Um... Wow. the whole point and I was you know I kept those journals with me like oh, we all also were moved around a lot like we never stayed in one house for very long it was always you know mm. covering his tracks so those journals came with me they were always kept in like a special bag and wow. you know I just I just used to say I just love journaling I'm gonna write a book one day that was my kind of cover story for for the journals Oh my God. I actually, that was my thought when you were telling the story, like you should write a book with those journals. Like you could easily uh, create an amazing, well, not an amazing book. None of this is, you know, I don't wish child sexual abuse on anyone, but your the forethought, the pre-planning, the intelligence, like, yeah, just amazing. And and I'm just so, I'm just so grateful that you got that you know you got finally got to tell your story and and you're still telling your story to be able to help others yeah and and also I should add uh, whenever we moved houses I would write it down because you know when you're reporting and they would say what house did you live in then and you're as a child you can't it all kind of meshes into one but I was able to say I lived in this house and um wow yeah the detective that I had was just um amazed by it she's like can we have these journals please yeah and they gave them back to you obviously because you know once it's all said and done done you can get them back but yeah that's just like next level if I had have ever had a victim that did that I would have been like absolutely beside myself excited for the case because you know these cases are hard these are hard cases to investigate when you're in, if you don't have those details, you know, they make it a bit more of a puzzle piece. You know, you've got to find all the investigations are like puzzles, right? You've got to find all the pieces mm-hmm. and slot them in together. And you basically gave them the, the picture of the puzzle so that they could put the puzzle pieces together. Whereas, you know, generally when we're um, dealing with like the amount of abuse that you um, endured, uh, you know, it takes a lot more energy and a lot more effort to get to that point where you can put the pieces together. Yeah, yeah. And I think like even from the age of 15, when I stopped using code and actually started writing about it as well, that was all used because it was like this um, chronological like history almost of when he left. And um, oh, wow. you know, from 
moving and moving away and me really writing about it um you know everything was dated um it was hard for me though to give over the ones that were from 15 onwards because yeah I did know that he would get access to that potentially um because you know he has the right to see the evidence and that was hard um just knowing that you know um, he would say I had to really think about yeah I had to think about that and I did decide to give it over in the end bar one journal I said no that and that was the last one that I I wrote as a teenager but that was very very personal and I just said you can have every other journal but this one and that's fair and um, my detective yeah my detective was really understanding so yeah okay so I just wanted so we've had some conversations in regards to all of this stuff and and you sent me this beautiful email outlining how much of a battle you went through what you did and stuff and in there you told me that uh the defense lawyer or during the court process that the defense lawyer was quite underhanded and shady uh but I mean defense lawyers can be very sneaky in that they try and discredit the the victim and stuff like that how what was your experience with regards to that so I was prepped um, as as well as you can be by um, the GPP who, um, you know, were with me along along the whole way, and they they did tell me a little bit what to expect. But there was there's no preparing you for you know being asked the question like I put it to you that um, you you don't remember correctly or that never happened and you'd be like no it did but you know just being asked millions of times like in a different way um mm-hmm. oh I, but are you sure because you were so young uh, how do you really know that that that's your memory and you know it, it's just like gaslighting at its, at its finest but I really had to remember that this is this man's job this is um yeah what he's being paid to do and it was it was hard because then they um then when you know it was decided that he's guilty and going to to jail then he tried to give all these excuses for for his offending so there was um they tried to say that he had undiagnosed mental health problems that he was um undiagnosed bipolar and you know that made him offend, which is just offensive to people with mental health issues or bipolar. Like, yeah, that, that really upset me um, because you know that's not true at all. And um, they said, oh, but he had a, a problem and he was doing cocaine that whole time, and you know he was offending after he took cocaine. And you know, for me, I was like, oh. I don't think that's true either. But even if he was, that's no excuse. Yeah. And then they said, oh, but he was abused as a child. So that's why he's done it. And then again, I was like, well, um, I've been abused and I, I don't abuse children. So I don't accept that either. Yeah. Uh, just the way it was like hitting me, um, you know. Um, just always making excuses. Yeah, as, and, as if you know, he as, as if he deserves a free kick because of all of that, you know, like as if he deserves to be forgiven and forgotten, like and let yeah. loose into the public when he's a danger to children. You know, it was only yeah. a matter of time, if not already, that he would have abused his own children. 
So, you know, if he hadn't yeah, already yeah. abused them. So, you know, he's a danger to children. He does not care yeah. about his offending. All of that tells me he does not care and he's not remorseful. Yeah, and the other thing was he had written a letter, a sorry letter, that he hadn't tried to give me, you know, before this happened, before going to court. It was like at court on the day he asked the judge to give me this letter. And um, the judge said, you know, the victim is in this courtroom and I'm absolutely certain that she's not interested in uh, reading your apology letter. So please do not even, um, you know, try to offend her by wanting me to give this to her. Like if she ever wants it in the future, she can request it, but um, I'm absolutely not entertaining that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I had a very, very good, um, very good judge yeah, as well. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm just... And to add... Yeah, so go, go. Oh, yeah, no, just to add, you know, his current wife was in the courtroom on the day as well and was, you know, turning around and giving me dirty looks and shaking her head as if she couldn't believe why I'm, I was doing this, you know, and acting like I had ruined her life. Uh, and, well, you, um, had a, you had ruined yeah. her impression of this apparently perfect husband and this perfect father that she had in her mind. You know, that's... That's the one thing that I can't get my head around is when people people like to see the world in their own little goggles with their own little ideas and their own little perceptions and when someone else rips that out from under them, they are not ready to see it so they are willing to believe whatever they want to believe and that is why yeah. mothers don't protect children. That's why families stick by offenders. That's why instead of going, hey, you did this and you now need to pay for it, and when you have paid for it, we will think about, you know, and you show us that you care and you show us that you're rehabilitated or you're, you're trying, we might give you another chance. But, we, you know, I just never got that even as a, a detective talking to families. They would be like making excuses and enabling mm. and giving them all of these opportunities. She was just not willing to, you know, sit in discomfort and believe what was being said. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, those are just all the little things that, you know, I never expected to happen Yeah. when I first went in and reported. Um, you know, coming back to actually getting to that point of wanting to report, I really had to come to that decision on my own. Like I had a lot of pressure to, to go back to the police and to uh, report. And it was very stressful. I um, wasn't ready at the time. And I felt a lot of guilt for not being ready, but I didn't know what to expect. I thought that I would have to walk into the police station and just rattle off a statement. I didn't know that they helped to guide the interview. Um, it was not as bad as I thought. It really wasn't as bad. Like, of course, it was traumatic and I had to sit there and relive it. But I had, yes. you know, detectives from the child protection unit. And I'm so grateful that I did and I didn't just have someone that wasn't trained. Yes. Um, yeah, so. Um, just, I don't think yeah, people um, understand, yeah. you know, like, um, you know, it. there's so many bad stories out there and you, and you, uh, and what's beautiful about your story is that you had the bad stories but you didn't let it stop you. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that it's um, everyone's journey is to report their abuse. You know, that's their choice. Mm -hmm. That's their prerogative. That's what you, you always have to do what's right for you. And 
what you can live with at the end of the day when you close your bed put your head on your pillow at night what you can actually live with and what you what you're comfortable with but you you obviously knew like from a very young age that everything that was going on you were going to do something about it because you wouldn't have written those journals otherwise so um so you were always on this path to this state stage and um, you know, you sharing your story here on this podcast is only just the beginning of you helping other people heal and go through this process. Before I get to my last question, what do you think um, would help people in this? It, it, someone listening to this podcast today who went through something similar or has been a victim of abuse, what do you think would help them in understanding what they, they're about to embark on if they do a report? Is there anything that you can think of? that might have helped yeah. you like you know you're you're talking about how different how different the process was than what you thought it was going to be right yeah definitely do, um, do you think that there's something there that you could share yeah so um if you're about to embark on the process I would definitely be um trying to get you know um a detective who was trained in um yeah. you know child protection you know they are trained to um be able to deal with that and the difference between um having them apart from my previous experience with the police was so different um also like what things that I wish I had known was basically after you give your statement you don't really hear a lot and yeah you're wondering what's going on um and you know it caused a lot of anxiety so you know looking back now I um wish that I had known that it wasn't um that I wasn't going to be contacted quite a lot until I needed to be yeah and you know you want updates and you're 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 worried but coming to a place of acceptance probably halfway through my case I realized okay I need to relax a little bit (laughs) they will contact me when they when they well it's out of your hands it's out of your hands. Yeah, you hand yeah. it o- like you literally, and probably this is what I can add from my perspective, is once you hand it over to that detective, it's out of your hands. Literally, you have no control over what happens next. But what you can do and what you could have done was sent an email now and again, hey, how are we going? You know, do you need anything more from me? You know, hopefully, um, I always say this to people, you are allowed to contact your detective. You are allowed to talk to them. You're allowed to ask questions, you know, because it does take a long time. Yeah, no, my detective was really great. She never got annoyed with me when I contacted her (laughs) or anything like that. And, you know, I shouldn't. Yeah, in my, my email that I actually had, you know, direct contact with the DPP, um, they put me in this pilot program, which fast-tracked the court experience, and um, they would just ring me directly for updates. Um, so, And then they'd bring my detective, so they'd make two phone calls, which I found out wasn't usually the norm. Um, oh. Usually they said they would only contact the detective, and then that information would be passed on to, to me. So, I mean, that, that was good as well, because I was able to ask a lot of the legal questions yeah. um, when they did contact me uh yeah I guess having the supports in place as well like don't bother trying to talk to people who are clearly uncomfortable with the situation um find those people that aren't like are are comfortable with it and use them as your support network um 
I had a lot of people who just didn't know what to say and yeah I didn't feel comfortable talking to them after that and, and I learned very very quickly who I could use as a support yeah a lot of people are still really uncomfortable in this space they don't know what to say they don't know how to support people they don't some people aren't ready to support you so you really don't trust the ones that don't give you that respect um, straight up because they're not going to be the people that you need in your corner anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I've just got um, one last question. Uh, so the question I ask all of my uh, interviewees is that, you know, um, I always thought when I was writing my book and when I was, um, you know, going through the process of leaving the police that if parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. And that's what I want to ask you. If, if What would you like parents to know so that they do things differently for their own kids? To trust your child. I remember when I was eight and, you know, I don't think I had been groomed to the extent where, um, where I was so scared to say something. I was saying to my mom, I do not like this man. Um, yeah. I hate him. I don't want him in my life. And, you know, she was just like, oh, you'll get over it. You're kind of just jealous because you've got to share me and, you know, you're taking the attention. Um, right. But in reality, I was just too scared to say I'm being abused, you know. I, I The only way I could express it as an eight-year-old is I hate this man. I do not want him to live with us. Um, and, that, yeah, that was the only way that I, I could do it. And I wasn't listened to. I was told just to learn to get along with him. Um, so that's something that I do with my children now. If they tell me that they don't like someone, um, yeah. I listen to them. Yeah. So there's a reason for that. And even if it's not because, you know, they're going to be sexually abused, whatever the the reason is that they're saying, it, they don't feel comfortable, you know, something in their gut's telling them they don't like that person. And I, I definitely try to respect that. Yeah, well, we talk about, and I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but protective behaviours and one of the protective behaviours is early warning signs and early warning signs are, you know, whatever you feel in your body that makes you feel uncomfortable or unsafe. And I, it sounds like your early warning signs were telling you to talk to someone, like you wanted someone to do something about your abuse, but you didn't have the language or the trust there in your mum to be able to share it. So, you know, that was the best you could do. And um, we do have to listen to our early warning signs as parents and our children. We need to give them the space to be able to go or the the trust in us that we will do something about it when they feel unsafe. So you're doing a perfect job in that. Yeah, and then the other thing I do with my own children now is they know how to say their body parts, you know, yeah. um, because a big reason why I didn't tell an adult is, you know, I was so embarrassed. I yeah. It took me till when I started doing my nursing degree to actually be able to say, you know, vagina. And I had to practice. I remember being like, you know, 22 and I had to practice saying it until I became comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, now I don't have an issue, but, you know, it, that would have really helped me. Yeah. Really helped me as a child. Yeah. But, and yeah. and you would have had you would have had the language skills and the the trust in people to be able to say that if if those things had been taught to you as a young at a young age yeah, yeah. I had no protective behaviors taught to me so yeah. definitely all the parents out there it's something to educate yourselves on and yeah and learn and if you're uncomfortable with it you know do what you need to do to find a way to become comfortable with it yeah 
Thank you so much, Imogen, for being on the podcast and for sharing your story. And and there's so many brilliant things that you shared in this podcast today. And like, I am so proud of you. I think you're an amazing advocate. Um, you know, you like, I'm just so in awe of your ingenuity, ingenuity. Um, you know, how ingenious you were in as an eight-year-old and and how you wrote those diaries and and you wrote things that you created a code and you know the thing is is that you um you even though you didn't realize that you were fighting for yourself from a very young age and uh, I think that's you know something that we forget that we are actually very good at fighting for ourselves and you've been fighting for yourself for a long time so I think you're an amazing parent I think you're an amazing advocate and I and you know keep sharing your story and keep helping because I think and I hope that other survivors who maybe haven't come forward yet might find some some solace and peace in knowing that you were successful in everything you did um you know they don't have to have the diaries they don't have to have all that, yeah, that I just stuff. I want to add yeah yeah. But, yeah yeah they don't they don't have to have yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> the detectives are very clever you know even most of the stuff that they brought up yeah, they, they were they did their job they can find evidence that's right yeah well that's if if a detective's doing their job properly they're going to look at every rabbit down every hole they're going to turn every rock over they're going to yeah. do as much as they can to to get a you know a conviction or to to get to prove what you've told them and yeah. unfortunately a lot of the time that you know because of the the insidious nature of these um offenses there's not always a lot of evidence because it happens behind closed doors when no one's around but you know if you don't try, you don't know. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, thank you for having me. I'm very, very um, happy that you agreed to have me on here because I oh. definitely want to start sharing my story. And, yes, I'm going to turn those journals into a book. So, <laughs> Oh, well, we'll, we'll talk uh, we'll more after. But, you know, when that happens. <laughs> well, I, I'm a self-published author myself, yeah. so I can help you. To, um, to, I can definitely talk you through the process. So, We'll keep talking. Thank you so yeah, much, Imogen. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Education empowers children and empowers parents and education prevents abuse. That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kids Safe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kids Safe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.